genuine question now. Go ahead. When was the last time you experienced decent, not even like exceptional, just decent customer service? Oh, long time ago. I mean, there's no secret formula for it yet. What we do know is that most companies seem to be pretty bad at it. But not you, my friend, not you, listener. Oh, no, you can create an amazing customer service experience when you use the brand new service hub from HubSpot. Yep, this all-new service hub from HubSpot brings customer service and support together in one simple but powerful platform so you can deliver the best experience possible. And of course, it's powered by AI, not Al, AI, meaning your team can automate those tedious tickets from people who've clearly not read your frequently asked questions. Pain in the backside, aren't they? Oh, and by the way, organizations using HubSpot Service Hub are resolving tickets 13 times faster, helping them to close 42% more tickets per day. That means increasing retention by more than 80%. Thank you, people at HubSpot who, who did the maths on that one, because I wouldn't be able to. I love a bit of data. Did you also know, Al, that it consolidates your entire internal knowledge base into one place? So no matter who is working on support, they'll have the answers at their fingertips. I did know that because I wrote that for you. Well, there you have it. Stand out from the crowd and migrate to HubSpot Service Hub today. Visit HubSpot.com slash service and learn how this all-new solution can help you deliver for your customers. The best teams had the highest degree of psychological safety and the worst had the lowest level of psychological safety. Hello and welcome to the Truth, Lies and Workplace Culture podcast. My name is Al and I'm a business owner. My name's Leanne. I'm a business psychologist. And if you're a regular listener, or even if you're not, then this whole podcast, You'll Start to Learn, is all about taking the complex idea of people and workplace culture, which Leanne knows everything about because she's an amazing psychologist. And then we're trying to translate it so that you, the business owner or the leader, have got implementable ideas that you can basically walk away today and start doing some really good stuff in your workplace. Now, I want to ask you about this, Leanne, because I've seen quite a few posts recently and it feels like there's this uprising in employees demanding a better workplace culture. Now, it could be just the Google algorithm because I'm because I do read these things, then I see more of them. It could be that there's more millennials in the um, in the workplace, um, so therefore they've got different standards that they're looking for. It could be that they're perhaps a bit more vocal than than me, which is Gen X, I think I am, Gen Z, I can't remember. Um, so it could be that I'm a bit more vocal. But I wanted to ask you, Leah, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, you're Gen X. Oh, Gen X. Yeah, I'm a Old. millennial. Hi, guys. We're the ones that started the trouble. The uh, Gen Zs are now picking up the baton. <laughs> um, yeah, no, there is definitely there is definitely a shift in expectations of employees at work because there's been massive shifts in in the way we work. You know, in terms of technology, um, and obviously massively accelerated by the pandemic. Um, expectations are different now and you know the world of work is is different as well where there's you know the the times of having a job that's safe for life on isn't there anymore as we've talked about recently with the twitter layoffs a safe pension isn't really a thing anymore so quite rightly you know employees now are saying well you know i am i'm i'm giving you my time in return for good pay benefits and, and a work-life balance um you don't have to like it but yeah it's it's changed it's so interesting because the power shift seems to have been now that um, before it was like you're lucky to get a job and now it's almost like employees think you're lucky to get me, which is probably quite a good, quite an interesting shift and quite a good thing to be. Now, you've you've done some research around what makes a great workplace culture and you found seven foundations of well-being 
that makes that makes a place a really good place to work. So will you talk us through those seven? Yeah, so I think just to give it a little bit of context, when we look at kind of of psychological research within organizations, there's lots of overlap between well-being, employee engagement, and culture. So what we want to do here at Oblong was create a very comprehensive tool that can capture all of those things um, that employers, business leaders have influence and power over. They can make changes in their business, but then they can also see the measurable impacts on employee attitudes, behavior, and performance. Um, so yeah, there are seven foundations um, within a business that will promote well-being, that will promote employee engagement and all the performance benefits that come with that. We've called it the RX7. Um, and that's because our seven areas all begin with R. And I was very excited when this turned out to be the case, completely was, accidentally. To be honest, I think one of them I made you change to begin with R, but the rest of the other <laughs> six did. I mean, I put the L in alliteration, I think. Yeah, anyway, should we crack on with those seven then? Yeah. Shall I, shall I list the seven first? Yes, that's yeah? a good idea. So we have reason, recognition, resources, role, relationships, resilience, and remote. Lovely. So let's go through those those seven. And just, just to reiterate, these are what we found from our research, or Leanne's research, really, I've just written bits of it, um, is that they're the seven foundations to make an amazing workplace culture of employee engagement and performance. And well-being. And well-being. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, reason, the first one. So this is really providing, and I, I, I like to start each of these kind of definitions with providing, because as a leader, I can provide this within the organization. It's not intangible. It's not, you know, how do we do this? I provide this as a, as a leader. Um, so reason, I provide leading engagement uh, with a clear mission that not only I connect with and I'm excited about as a leader, uh, but that my employees connect with, um, both on a professional and a personal level. So the second is recognition. That's providing an environment that's based on fairness, representation and appreciation. The third is resources. Uh, that's providing uh, manageable workloads, adequate training for people to do the job that they're currently in and ongoing development, development opportunities as well. The fourth is role. So this is role um, clarity in terms of the current role. So what are my responsibilities? Um, clarity over future roles. Do I have a clear path within the organization um, or in, indeed externally to the organization? Um, freedom in work practices. So this isn't having to do everything exactly the same way um, all the time. I have some autonomy within my role. And then also just mutual respect between leaders and employees in terms of I have a role within this, this organization and therefore I have some control over, over what that looks like. Uh, the fifth is relationships. Um, so this is providing information and support to employees through uh, yourself as a leader, through your managers and um, harnessing and nurturing that support um, in peer relationships as well. Six is resilience. Um, and this is really providing opportunities for employees to build their resilience um, and critically to, um, you know, the time and space to emotionally and physically recover um, from work, particularly in frequently changing environments, which is basically just business today, right? Um, and then finally, remote. So remote's interesting. And pre-pandemic, we were working with clients um, on employee engagement and wellbeing and looking at remote work as something that we believe was driving employee engagement. Um, so it's contributing to positive employee engagement and well-being within the business. What we've kind of found in our research 
post-pandemic, and this is early post-pandemic, so it might change why we need to always keep an eye on these things. What we're finding is that employee engagement and well-being is affected by remote or hybrid work as a workplace arrangement, either negatively or positively, depending on the conditions within the organization as they currently are. So what it's basically saying is it's a moderating factor. So if your if your other six R's are doing really well, then more than likely remote work or hybrid work, whatever that looks like for you, is going to work really well because you've created this environment to facilitate remote work. Equally, if there are some kind of hotspot risk areas in your organization, then they're probably going to be related to certain struggles with remote work. Um, so currently, we're finding that remote is a moderator of the previous six but that is the those are the seven foundations and that is the rx7 definitely now you'll be hearing i'm sure a lot more about that in the new year i'm not going to give you any spoilers um but the whole point of this is i think that you're going to we get these things in place and basically as long as you do these seven things we've got these seven things scoring highly you've got yourself a decent workplace culture now, I think what you said before was that one of the most, or you're talking about one of the most important beliefs, and that's why we've got our guest on today. Yeah, so so the important thing about looking at culture, employee engagement, well-being, is to look at it as a predictive model um, and uh, something that you can measure. So all of our sevens in our RX7, um, each of those um, can be measured and linked to a specific positive belief or behaviour uh, that employees might have about the organisation. And that in turn is going to translate into individ- individual benefits such as well-being, performance, fulfilment, um, but also business benefits. Like I said before, you know, this has to be commercially sustainable as well. Um, and what we found is that these positive behaviours and beliefs translate into high revenue, higher profitability and faster growth to name a few. So in short, you need this. If you want to scale, if you want to yeah. maybe exit, uh, maybe you want to get investment, you need this. Absolutely. And, you know, to to kind of lead in and segue nicely into today's guest, one of the most important beliefs um, that can be held by employees in engaging work environment and that boosts well-being pretty much exponentially is something called psychological safety. We brought in a guest called Stefan, who he will introduce himself in a second. Um, And I'm not going to, deliberately not going to ask Leanne to define psychological safety um, or why we need it, because these are all the questions we ask Stefan. So let's meet Stefan. My name is Stefan Wiedner, and I'm the CEO of Zarango.com. It is a training platform uh, where we train folks in psychological safety. The original seed was there in business school. I really enjoyed organizational behavior, industrial organization, like those courses, the kind of HR culture related courses. And so I've been spending the last 15 years or plus in that area. So I started with coaching. We started, uh, my business partner and I, we started up newme.com. It's a network of thousands of coaches all over the world. And more recently um, started up zarango.com for all of our psychological safety-based training. So as I, I mentioned earlier, psychological safety is a belief held by employees in engaging and supportive workplace culture. But what is it exactly? Um, And Stefan's actually got a really good clinical definition. I'll start with the clinical definition, if you call it that. Uh, The one provided by Amy 
Amy Edmondson. Uh, she's a Harvard professor. She's really the thought leader in this space. I, I, I'm sure I call myself a, an expert, but she's the real expert. And I'm just learning from her and others in the field. Her definition is that psychological safety is a belief that within your team, within your work environment, you can speak up, say what's on your mind, admit mistakes, and you can do all of that without any fear of some form of negative consequence. To make that a little more tangible in our training, what we say is that the definition for psychological safety is that you're trying to create a culture in which your people have the courage to speak up and the confidence to know that when they do speak up, they'll be heard. Now, our Zoom rec recording there did break up a little bit when he said a really important thing, which was Amy Edmondson. Is that correct, Leanne? Yeah, Amy Edmondson is a Harvard professor and a real pioneer and thought leader in, in psychological safety. And she did say, you know, it's and she there's so much reading. We're going to leave a link in the show notes that if you want to, you know, dive into her TED Talks, into her um, papers, it really is fast, fascinating reading. Um, but she, you know, summarised it by the... You know, psychological safety is a belief that the team is safe for interpersonal risk taking. Or in other words, that they just, you know, people feel empowered to question the status quo without that fear of being judged or embarrassed or punished. In its simplest terms, it's creating an adult to adult environment. Um, and I think that's what we were kind of saying before, you know, it's that, you know, you should want me to work for you as much as I want, you know, to work for you is that adult to adult transaction um and you know as Stefan said it's not just about allowing people to speak up it's about doing something with that feedback um and it's by making sure that that employee voice translates into organizational action that you're going to get the most impact out of psychological safety as Stefan explains and what we knew looking back was that all of the leaders that we were coaching Wanting to improve their ability to lead their teams, inspire their teams, et cetera. Gosh, they're all really just trying to improve psychological safety. And we can measure that. And if we can measure it before and after, then we can point to something that says, hey, this is good evidence that the behaviors of this leader are changing and psychological safety is improving. And because we know psychological safety is linked to performance and high, high performance, then we can assert that this team is performing better. So as Stefan says, again, we're talking about a predictive model. Um, this is how the RX7 works. It's how any great employee engagement model or wellbeing model is going to work. Um, in that, you know, if we understand the, the foundations, the drivers of employee engagement and the associated beliefs and behaviors, we're not only going to know where to make changes, but we can measure the impact of these changes too. Um, as I said, from, from individual well-being to profitability and even happier customers. Now, I'm always asking, how does this make a difference? It all sounds lovely, but how does it make a difference? Uh, Stefan's got an amazing example of how it made a difference at Google. You need to pay attention to it because... Um, the main reason is that it's linked to high performance. So I mentioned that earlier. Google did a big study. Google, of course, they're about as data-driven as you can get. And they asked the question, what makes an effective team? Because they had ranked 180 Google teams. They knew the best teams and they knew the worst teams. And so they wanted to know what leads to teams being effective or not. And so they went around the halls of their, their campus and they asked, senior leaders, executives, managers, all sorts of folks, what they think might matter when it comes to a team. And so they looked at team size, age, ethnicity, 
cultural diversity, you know, all of these different factors and nothing correlated, nothing correlated with the best teams and the worst teams. And so they went back to the academic research, came across the concept of psychological safety, applied that to their data set. And lo and behold, it was the driving factor. So it was the number one correlating factor with high performance and low performance, meaning the best teams had the highest degree of psychological safety and the worst teams had the lowest level of psychological safety. So that's why it matters. Yeah, such a, a really interesting bit of research from Google. It's um, If you want to find out more, it's called Project Aristotle. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, based off of the, um, I guess, the idea of Aristotle that the, the sum is greater than its individual parts. Um, but yeah, Google found that employees that felt psychologically safe were more likely to admit mistakes, more likely to collaborate with others, um, and also to take on new responsibilities and commercially bring in more revenue. Once you then add in the positive correlation of uh, between psychological safety um, or the positive relationship between psychological safety, um, employee retention, satisfaction, resilience, and performance, creating psychologically safe environments it's kind of a, a no-brainer, really. Um, I think. What do you What do you think? It sounds like it's common sense at this point. Well, it does, but I think for someone who's just coming to this term, psychological safety, it 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 can sound a little bit like, oh, what else am I going to have to do to <laughs> to make sure that everyone feels happy? And we are going to go on to the whole fluff and snowflake stuff in a second. Um, so if you're still not convinced, don't worry, that's coming. Um, but I think, yeah, it just, it makes perfect sense. And the fact that Google is doing it, and as you say, data-driven um, tech company, very forward-thinking, um, used to be, and possibly still are, brilliant in the in the leadership area. It just goes to show that this is something which we all really should be listening to. Absolutely. And if you're still not clear on how psychological safety can impact behaviour and in turn, organisational outcomes, Stefan has a great example. I'm a nurse and I see on the chart for this, in this case, it was in a neonatal um, intensive care unit. So there's a child, an infant, a baby. And on the chart, it says, you know, administer this amount of drug, this type of drug and this amount. And you think the dose is wrong. So it's two in the morning, you know, you're the midnight shift and you think I really got to call the doctor. So you call the doctor and says, you know, stay in your lane. Just follow the orders on the chart. And that's that. Um, so the next time that comes around, what do you do? Do you, do you notice the error on the chart or the potential mistake? And do you call that doctor again? No, because you had, you got reamed out last time. So that's one case where psychological safety affected my ability to be able to pick up the phone and call you. And there's a potential life or death situation. And why that matters is because how often are there mistakes happening in your work environment where you want to know about those mistakes because you can then do something about it. And another similar study looked at the number of errors that were being reported in hospitals. And what they found is that teams that had the highest level of psychological safety reported more errors, not less. And that was counterintuitive, right? Amy, that was a study conducted by Amy Emmonson again. And she was expecting that the teams with the highest degree of psychological safety would have the fewest number of errors. And it was exactly the opposite. And it's because it's a reporting issue. 
if you have a high degree of psychological safety, you report the errors so you can fix them. And if you are in a low psychological safety environment, you hide them. So if you're a business owner, if you're a business leader, and you're not hearing about the issues that are happening in your business until it's too late, that's a problem, right? Like if your salespeople are finding out that your biggest customer is upset with you and they're just trying to, you know, cover it up and they don't want to admit that we might lose our biggest client. That's a problem. You need to find out about that right away. Um, so that's the case for psychological safety. It's, it's getting access to information to make better in better decisions. Ultimately, it's how groups of people learn so they can innovate, adapt, change, make things better. So I have a question, Leah. This has just fired something off in my head. Do you think, you know, in House, the um, the, the Hugh Laurie document, not documentary. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> it's <not> documentary. Really. <laughs> in, in, in House in the series. Then I'm thinking based on that, that they had high psychological safety, but then the leader, did they have high psychological? Because what I'm thinking is on one hand, he basically sat down to do the differential diagnosis with everyone. So they're like, right, we want your ideas. Yet almost every idea was thrown back and going, that's stupid. So what was the situation there? I think, I mean, I think House is a really interesting yeah, case study to use for lots of different things. I think you're right. I think there is an element of, of psychological safety there because the thing is that there was, you know, if, if mistakes were made, House knew about it. House was the first person to know about it or if something wasn't working, he was the first person to know about it. So I think there was psychological safety. And I think what's probably going to be quite interesting if you, if you kind of mapped that, journey of of those I think those two main teams aren't there in house those two main teams of doctors over the course of the series I would imagine that you'd start to see more and more those um junior members of the junior doctors starting to question house and throw back a similar level of of shade and you're wrong um and I think that's what you it's probably a good example, a very, very weird example, but a very good example of nurturing psychological safety in terms of it only works if we can all question each other, whether I'm the leader or whether I'm the most junior person of staff in the organisation. Um, everyone has an equal voice. And it just so happens that House is a sarcastic bastard. Um, so he will, he will shoot <laughs> you down, but you know that he wants you to question that. Yeah. Really interesting. Okay, so, but we can't just say all right, we now have a culture of psychological safety. Let's hear it. Can you? I mean, not really. I think it does kind of start with that very clear intention and communicating that clear intention with your employees. But even, you know, using that that silly example of, of how psychological safety is something that's nurtured and, and will build over time, um, so yeah, it's, I mean, it's not just as we've said, it's, and again, House is a good example. It's not just about getting that feedback. It's also important how you respond to it and respond to it in the right way, um, as Stefan explains. Oh, well, if I share this, is that going to reflect poorly on me? Mm, my colleagues aren't reporting these issues. Maybe, why would I? Why should I? Then I'm going to seem like the whistleblower, right? These are all of the impacts that we might be perceiving um, to our reputations if we share certain pieces of information. And I think that's often, you know, the fact that you just pointed that out is really critical to point out is that that's what's causing people to withhold information is like, how is this going to affect me? And, um, and so that's why as a business owner or business leader, you need to make sure 
that you are setting the tone for what information needs to be shared. And then you need to be responding in a productive way. So if what you're asking is, okay, I need to know when there are mistakes. And then you ream someone out when they share a mistake. That's not going to get you that behavior again in the future. So you have to respond productively. And also another way that um, folks might share information is maybe there's a chat or some sort of uh, Slack channel where people can just kind of air their issues. And if you just ignore them, like if, okay, so you're giving the ability to share, but then you do nothing with that information. How you respond is as important as kind of the system you set up for gathering the information in the first place. So I think there's a couple of really great takeaways here from Stefan that I just want to expand on a little bit. I think, you know, he said that the first thing is to really, you know, thinking about how you respond to this. If you fly off the handle, if you send out an angry email and copy in every single member of the team, that's not going to foster feelings of psychological safety. Um, so, you know, you really do have to take your ego out of it. You need to decide ahead of time how you're going to respond to various levels of, of mistake because uh, the minute you lose your shit psychological safety just isn't going to work and I think secondly you know as um as Stefan said if you're not gonna do anything with this feedback with these ideas suggestions you are better doing nothing at all do not open that can of worms that is gonna you know I mean psychological safety then becomes irrelevant um but in terms of employee engagement and well-being you're just gonna have a more negative impact so if you're not in the position to ask for this feedback and act on it and by acting I'm not saying implement every idea but respond to every idea um then it's just it's not gonna it's not gonna work I love this taking your ego out of it. I think that is the key to almost anything in business, whether it's sales, marketing, ideation, leadership, um, HR, anything like that. Taking your ego out of it is really, really smart. Okay, so hopefully we've made a case for why it's important and why you should be considering this um, and why you should be implementing it in your in your organization. So let's get on to some practical stuff. So how do we actually do this? Yeah, the first thing you want to do is thank people for contributing. And then seek understanding. So as a leader, you want to make sure that you have your curiosity hat on, if you will. Don't assume you absolutely know what they're trying to say. So sometimes it will be fairly clear, but then other times you might have additional questions um, or don't assume you know exactly what the person is, is trying to aim for. What we advocate is for managers and leaders to be really curious about what people are contributing because that makes them really feel heard, right? And understood and appreciated. And if you give people the time of day, they're going to start to give you more and more information openly, right? Because it's going to feel more comfortable. They're going to feel more trust. And that trust is a currency within business, right? The more people trust you because you're willing to listen the more they're willing to share and, and give you insights or, or information that they're possessing in their between their two ears. I think what I love most about what Stefan said there is, you know, leaders putting on their on their curious hat, you know, leading with curiosity. 
and why I like that, I think it's a, it's a, it's a one. It's a really common trait within, um, you know, leaders, particularly owner-led businesses. Um, they're usually very curious. They've usually built their business because of a curiosity of doing something differently, or, or you know, changing how you know the status quo. It's that same mentality. You know, how could we do things better? And what I love is that by applying that same mindset that you leverage to build your business, um, you're going to embrace um, this this concept of psychological safety and really help your employees to contribute in the best possible way to continually, um, you know, push the envelope. So let's bring this, this idea, this concept to life a little bit more and let's um, hear from Stefan again. For sure. I think there's many good examples of organizations that do psychological safety well. Um, I can think of one organization that's made it a real top priority for them. And they're in the finance industry. And so what's a priority for them, especially among their investment team, is getting really good information because they make decisions about what companies to invest in. They want to make sure that even if there's one dissenting voice in a room of a dozen that that dissenting voice is heard. So they're creating an environment where all of those folks are able to share their information. Now, that's not a simple task. Like I think the idea of what they want to have, which is complete information for decision-making is really, really clear. What is hard about it is that these folks by and large are looking at investments and making decisions and they are basically being paid for their knowledge And so they don't want to look stupid. They don't want to look like they're uninformed. They want to be making decisions on complete information. And so if there's some sort of like, "Mm, I'm not so sure, and I'm not even sure how to fully articulate why, but I have an intuition, you know, my, my sense is this industry operates in this way. And this company's a little bit different than all the other companies in the industry. And here's why, like, maybe they can't fully articulate why they're thinking, I'm not so sure. I'm a little bit hesitant about this as a buy. They might not say anything. So uh, again, they've been able to uh, put in place some systems and, um, and, and really group norms by setting a certain agenda, like, so, okay, for these meetings, here's how we're going to run this meeting. We want to hear everybody's, you know, top three reasons for top three reasons against, and we want you to think about it ahead of time. Cause this week we're going to be reviewing companies, A, B, C, and D, right? So they're giving people, they're knowing their tendencies and accommodating the, the agenda of the meeting to allow people to have that time to want to invest the time and energy to be articulate with their responses. I think that's actually a really good approach to um, to give teams this agenda, this expectation ahead of time, not only for different personalities and thinkers, um, but also as a way of, um, you know, saying we're so committed to this that we are giving you time to come up with why we're wrong about this. Um, it really cements that through. And I think, you know, another way to do it could be, you know, again, you're relying on individuals with that to feel comfortable. Create teams or create working groups with a set agenda. You, you four are for this idea. You four are against this idea. It doesn't matter how you individual feel, individually feel. Use the information to come up with the pros and cons as you can see them. Um, yeah, I think it's a really, really cool technique. And just to pick up on something else that Stefan said there as well, you know, and this, I think this sums it up brilliantly, is 
all of this, everything about gathering data within your organization on employee engagement, well-being, how people are thinking and feeling is to give you uh, the full information, the full picture you need to make decisions within your business. Um, if you're not quite ready to kind of, you know, make this big change in your business and, and put it all out there, think about doing, you know, asking for some kind of anonymous feedback um, or some kind of survey that we've talked about before on the on the podcast. Sometimes that can be a good place to start to understand what the current climate is within your business uh, to then make bolder moves uh, that Stefan is talking about. So clearly the biggest impact on psychological safety is the leader. Um, psychological safety is a team-based construct. And so you're going to have pockets where psychological safety is going to be high and pockets where psychological safety is going to be low and everything in between. And what we find um, really tends to influence psychological safety is the leadership starting at the top, but then also leaders within certain departments. So certain leaders and managers will cause psychological safety to go down or up, depending on their skills, their abilities to manage their team and manage psychological safety. So um, are there organizations that uniformly have low psychological safety across the board? I think if you look at the top um, and you look at who's leading those organizations, that's probably going to be the best indication. So here's a question, Leanne, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of listeners are saying this out loud. What happens if you start hearing things you don't really want to hear? You will hear things you don't want to hear. Um, you know, it, it's just the way things are. Nothing is 100% perfect. And also, if people aren't aren't questioning things, then they're not innovating, they're not creating and they're not driving the change in performance within your business that you need. So you are going to hear things you don't want to hear. Um, but yeah, as I said earlier, it is like opening it a can of worms. This is what Stefan thinks. Yeah, I think what you're pointing to is the anxiety we might have as business leaders to, I, if I ask the question and I get an answer, I now need to deal with it, right? Yeah, I think that's a question you want to ask yourself. Are you willing and able to do that? And maybe there's some areas that you're willing to explore with your staff and others where you're not. Like there's some matters that you want to fully decide. Like you're the business owner, you're the business leader, maybe you're the divisional leader. Like you're going to make the call. Like at the end of the day, it is a business and usually businesses require one person uh, to make the call. And so um, we're not saying you have to uh, honor every piece of input, right? Because remember, gathering information from your staff is not about agreeing with them. It's about giving them a voice and making them feel like, what they have to say matters. And the more you can do that, the more engaged they're going to be, the more likely they are to really lean into their work and not just, okay, well, boss told me to do this. I guess I'll do it, even though I think it's a terrible idea, right? So if, if you can think about um, engagement, psychological safety is a means for facilitating high levels of engagement. And lower levels of engagement are going to be facilitated when when there's less psychological safety, when folks are not, their, their voice doesn't matter. So that, I think that's a simple way of thinking about it. Do you want to get the best out of your people? Then you want to foster psychological safety and their input and make their voice matter. I am quickly interrupting this phenomenal podcast to recommend another phenomenal podcast. 
Nudge. We love Nudge, hosted by Phil Agnew, a true gent. It is, of course, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. But that is not the only reason we're recommending it, is it, Al? No, it's not. No, we've recommended it to lots of people. If you look at any of our YouTube comments, it won't take you long, there's about 20 of them, <laughs> then you'll see that we recommend Phil uh, to anyone who likes our pod. Well, on Nudge, you're going to learn simple evidence-backed tips. It's going to help you kick bad habits, get a raise, and grow a business. Oh, and it's the UK's fastest growing business podcast. For now. For now, Phil, we're coming for you, buddy. <laughs> if you loved hearing Rory Sutherland from Ogilvy on our show back in episode 83, then Phil's latest episode has Rory on again talking about McDonald's, smoking, and why the pension system is broken. I suppose we should say that actually Rory's been on a couple of times on to nudge. It's not that uh, Phil's seen what we've done and gone, I'll have Rory. So I think it's important yeah, for no, us to Yeah, no, we say copied. That. We copied Phil. Anyway, listen to Nudge wherever you get your podcasts. A client said to me once when we were kind of new in, in our relationship and, and in the project and starting to explore kind of employee voice and psychological safety. And they said to me, you know, but Leanne, we're running a business, not a democracy. And I was like, yes, but you're also running a business, not a dictatorship. Like it's, it, it, you can have, you know, we're not saying as Stefan said that, that you're giving over complete control to your employees or you have to do everything they say. That's not the point. You know, business leaders, you can set boundaries. You can, you know, to the kind of input that you want, what your expectations are, manage employees' expectations in terms of what you're going to do with it. You don't have an obligation to accept every piece of feedback um, and then action it. Um, it's more about facilitating that discussion. And if someone gives you an idea, you know, it's as simple as saying, I love that. That's such a great idea. I'm not sure it's going to work for the business right now because of this specific reason, but let's pick that up in three months' time and see where we're at. Um, it is, it's facilitating that discussion. It's that adult-to-adult conversation. So let's just play devil's avocado for a moment then here. Um, so... What would you say to business owners who are telling you that this is just fluff? This is for the snowflakes out there who who need to feel safe. I mean, I'd I'd probably just tell them that they're wrong. <laughs> but I think, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Stefan's got my my back on this one. Psychological fluff. Um, yeah, what makes it different is that it's it's not fluff. It's science. There's science backing this. There's data. There's evidence, and we know it matters. And so. Um, one of the things that we're looking to do is we're conducting a study right now because we're focusing a lot of our training on those interpersonal skills. It's how to be curious, how to ask an open-ended question, how to reflect back to someone that you really understand them. Because so often what we know is that big organizations are starting to look for leaders that have great listening skills. Yeah, well, how do you assess that? And how do you teach that? Because most people, I'm guessing 90% of people think they're in the top 10% of listeners, right? We all think we're good listeners, but are we? And so we focus on, on those interpersonal skills. And we often focus on what are called soft skills. And we think that's a misnomer. They're not soft skills. They're hard skills. You can measure them. We can assess them through a performance task. And we get folks to respond to those stimulus videos by recording their response, what would they say in the room? So it's not a hypothetical. They actually record what they would say. And we can assess those. We have behavior specialists 
interpersonal skills experts who can code the responses to say, um, to, to look for eight skills that we know are correlating with good positive outcomes. And so um, it's, these are not soft skills. These are hard skills and they can be learned. Here, here. This isn't fluff. This is the science of human behavior. Do you know what is fluff, Al? Uh, no. Myers-Briggs. Do you know what else is fluff? Go on. Recruiting for culture fit. And one more. Do you want a third one? Yes, go ahead. Sushi feckin' Fridays. <laughs> that is fluff. We have empirical evidence backing up psychological safety. And when it's done right, businesses will measure the impact for themselves. If you're, do me a favor, if you're embarking on any people and culture intervention, whatever it is, take a snapshot of your performance before that intervention starts. I'm talking revenue, profitability, customer satisfaction, employee satisfaction, employee engagement, well-being, um, productivity, any data points you have, any metrics on performance you have within your business, take a snapshot before that intervention. Then once that intervention is finished, six months later, take that snapshot again. If your performance hasn't increased in the areas you expected it to, that intervention hasn't worked. Maybe that intervention was fluff, maybe it was executed badly. If you are doing this right, if you are using the science of people within your business right, you will see tangible, measurable impacts on your performance. Brilliant. Okay, well said. So let's assume that someone does do all that. Someone that, that someone listening says, yeah, I'm going to do this. Um, they implement everything uh, that, that, uh, that Stefan and you have talked about. Um, we fast forward six months. How how do they know that it's working? What characterizes an environment with high degree of psychological safety? It's people speaking up, right? And so what's the opposite of that? It's quietness or what I might call politeness. So if everyone's just really polite and, and you know, no one's willing to say the uncomfortable thing, then that's a sign that you have a lower level of psychological safety. I think the misconception is that if I'm a leader, if people are kind of agreeing with me and everything seems okay, that everyone's happy and everyone, you know, all is good. And that a, a true sign of a low um, workplace environment is one where people are fighting with each other, you know, openly calling each other names kind of thing. And that's not the case. Um, so instead we see that, Low levels of psychological safety are environments where um, just people are not speaking up or they're just being polite. They're agreeing with you all the time. And you're never, you know, a classic example is in a meeting. If you're sitting there and you say, okay, I think we should do this, folks. Uh, what do you think about this idea? And everyone just goes, yeah, sure. Let's do that. You want to you wanna empower your people to be able to speak up and say, ah, that's good. It's a seven out of 10. What would make it a 10 out of 10 is this. And for most people who've started a business because they see the commercial opportunity, an entrepreneur, then they're not necessarily um, schooled in leading. And I think that a lot of people, and I've fallen this trap myself, is that you sit there and you think because nobody's saying anything, it's a good idea. And you think, I keep coming up with these great ideas, don't I? And then, you know, six weeks down the line when it hasn't worked, you're like, well, why didn't that work? And then someone pipes up and goes, well, because the software doesn't really support that kind of thing or, you know, that sort of idea. So I think this is such an important thing to remember is that you might feel that everything's okay because people aren't disagreeing with you. That could actually be the worst thing. 
hundred percent. And I think, you know, there's, there's some, some little things that you can look out for and maybe just sit and reflect now on, on your business that, that I've, I've experienced as a leader and it has been a red flag and I've run towards it and, and tried to, to understand it better. Things like as, as you know, as I said, presenting ideas and getting no pushback. Mm. red flag presenting an idea and getting venomous pushback but from the same person that always gives you pushback red flag listen you know what i need to sit down and have a coffee with that person because clearly they've got some (laughs) ideas i need to hear um and i think finally just that i mean there's a balance between always feeling like you're fighting fires but if you're if you're in a position where you're not fighting any fires everything is going smoothly and brilliantly red flag there's a fire it's just no one's called 999 right <laughs> there's a fire this is so interesting because i think the the classic the, as i just mentioned before the, the 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 natural feeling is oh everything's okay so can we go into some some tangible you know how i like a list of things and ideally they've got three on them can we maybe go into like three or four steps of what someone does after they finish listening to this, what what they can do to implement this in their workplace. Yes, I think step one, understand that people want to be heard. Yeah, there's facilitating a discussion for sure. And also, um, you know, people just want to be understood and heard. So it's like, yeah, okay, I get it. I want one thing, you want the other. How are we going to meet in the middle? Or, or you know, it, it certainly does facilitate a discussion. And I think so often people want to just be, feel heard. And as long as they feel heard and appreciated, they're more likely to acquiesce, if you will, or more likely to, um, yeah, acquiesce. Because if you look at research around conflict resolution, often it starts with demonstrating understanding. Why? Because if you understand what the other person really wants, then they're more likely to want to understand what you want. That's a good way to make negotiations happen, right? You're more likely to get to a yes when you demonstrate, you lead by showing understanding. Oh, okay. I get what you really want. You really want this, 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 and that. Hmm. Okay. Well, let me tell you what I really want. I want this. And they're more likely to hear now because I heard them first. Again, adult to adult conversation. I hear so many business leaders say that they're craving this within their organization, but this adult to adult conversation does mean relinquishing a little bit of control, uh, which can be hard when you've built a business from the ground up. So yeah, step one, understand that people want to be heard and that they do have valuable contributions to make. With that in mind, step two, be curious when someone does speak up. Yeah, the first thing you want to do is thank people for contributing and then seek understanding. So as a leader, you want to make sure that you have your curiosity hat on, if you will. Don't assume you absolutely know what they're trying to say. And then of course, step three, measure it. This is not fluff. This is not intangible. This is the science of people. Measure it. Um, You know, we offer folks a free team assessment. It's super quick and easy. Uh, Amy Emmonson's survey that she developed is seven questions. So it's been robustly tested um, and it works to measure psychological safety in a team-based environment. And it takes three minutes for everybody to answer the questions. So we could administer the assessment. And then what it produces for us is a report. We get a report and um, we use that as a conversation starter with teams. 
This is a starting point. Okay, here's the psychological safety on this team. Let's talk about it. How do we get this score? Why is it seven out of 10 instead of nine out of 10? And then we can ask the question of, okay, well, what can we do about it? So that's the first thing is let's just measure it. Let's get a baseline measure so that we can influence it. That which you can measure, you can change. And finally, have a think about what might be stopping people from speaking up. I've mentioned this before and I'll continue to bang on about it. One of the most important things you can do as a leader is engage in reflective practice. What is going well? What isn't? What could be stopping people from feeling comfortable to speak up? The second thing is... As a leader, what you want to be thinking about is what might be causing people to withhold information. And when I say withhold, I don't mean in like a, um, like an intentional way, like what's causing them to not want to speak up, I guess. And just be attuned to it and be attuned to it for yourself. Like, are there uncomfortable bits of feedback that you feel like you want to say to some of your staff members or team members? And you're just not saying it. Like, what if someone's quality of work is not there? Are you willing and able to go up to them and say, this is not good enough. This needs to be better. And here's how. Or are you maybe a little bit too agreeable and you're saying, yeah, this is pretty good. Okay, thanks. You know, Um, so you want to make sure that you yourself are speaking up and you're noticing when you're not and what's causing that. So notice it in yourself and then notice it in your team. Notice, hmm, oh man, she's not saying anything right now. I wonder if it's because so-and-so just made a kind of a judgy comment. Hmm, interesting. So just start noticing. Okay, so these four steps. Step one, understand that people want to be heard. Step number two, be curious when someone speaks up. Seek clarification. Don't assume you know. Step three, measure it. And we talked about um, Stefan's measuring tool, which we'll link to. And step four is think about what's stopping people from speaking up in the first place. So are we saying this is all coming from the leader, Leah? Everything comes from the leader. (laughs) Honestly, as a business leader, the the responsibility on your shoulders is great. Um, But realising that, does kind of make it a bit lighter. Um, You know, everything you do, every move you make has impact on your team, on their engagement, on their well-being, on their performance. There is no room in this world for lazy leadership. There's a great book um, called The Promises of Giants by John Amici, and he explains this really beautifully um, in terms of kind of the the impact and moves you make. Um, So yeah, if you are a new leader, a new manager, if you are starting a business, if you're 10 years in and want some inspiration, I will link that in the show notes um, because it is, it, it, brilliantly explains how everything comes back to the leader, but that's okay. We've got this. So I asked Stephen, our expert on psychological safety, does he agree? Does the leader set the tone? Absolutely. Absolutely. hundred percent. I think the leader sets the tone. The belief that one has or the perception that one has about the degree to which there is psychological safety in their team is almost like a sum total of all of the interactions that have happened up until today, up until this moment. So all the Slack messages, emails, you know, one-on-one conversations, team conversations, all of that 
is going to inform me on how safe it is to speak up in this environment. What comes out of all of those emails and communications are norms. Norms are really powerful. And we as humans, maybe Leanne, you have that experience of going to a new job. And what do you do when you get into a new job? Quickly, you're like, okay, if I have an issue, who do I ask? How do I ask them? Do I just send them an email? Can I, you, like, there's all these social norms that exist that aren't necessarily explicitly written down, but they're driving our behavior. And we want to fit into those norms. That's like culturally, that's generally how we want to operate. And it usually starts with the core values of business. Like, for example, if you want to, if you're all about diversity or you're all about transparency, you know, that's one of your core values, transparency. And then you as a leader, you're kind of withholding information. What are the people going to say? They're going to say, oh, we're not all about transparency. We're actually about transparency with an asterisk beside it. <laughs> We're transparent to a degree and then not, a, but not more. Right. Um, or if it's all about diversity and then when new ideas are offered, you shut them down or you don't quite honor them or, um, or maybe you're not making any action to really bring in, um, you know, try to represent more, a broader, diverse set of people within your culture, people are going to, we're not really about diversity. So you want to state your values and then really honor them and make sure that all of your actions are congruent with them so that you're reinforcing those values again and again. And people within your organization are going to say, okay, yeah, we are all about transparency. And I can tell it's not just lip service. It's through our actions and our words every day. Oh, this is so important what Stefan is, is saying here. Having values does not make an authentic leader. Living those values, role modeling those values um, and consistently. Employees will put up with a bad manager, a bad leader for much, much longer than they will an inconsistent leader. That incongruence just causes so much stress. We've talked about neuroscience before. Um, it's, it's just that that threat state is, is induced. So yeah, if you um, don't worry about being a good leader or a bad leader, worry about being a consistent leader. This is gold. I love that. People will put up with a bad leader longer than they'll put up with an inconsistent leader. That is a fantastic way to finish it. So um, let's just talk quickly about some resources. So if you got this far, then I'm hoping you've enjoyed it. Um, so we have a couple of uh, a couple of ideas if you want to learn a bit more. Um, where, where does Stefan suggest to start, Leanne? Let's hear from Stefan. So Google Project Aristotle. And that is a, um, that's the research project that Google conducted to answer the question, what makes an effective team? And they have some really useful resources on there that describes what they did in their research study, but they also have some worksheets that as a team lead, you can use to facilitate discussions in your team. Stefan has also very kindly offered um, a free consultation to anyone listening to the Truth Lies and Workplace Culture podcast. Um, yeah, which is an incredibly generous offer and well worth taking up. So let's hear a bit more about what Stefan is offering our lovely listeners. We generally spend an hour to maybe even two hours debriefing the results with the team to help establish what that baseline is and then create a bit of an action plan for you moving forward. And um and so I'd love to do that with any team. It's gratis, you know, it's on me. Um, and and I, I'm unattached to the results there. Obviously, I want to work with organizations and teams. And if there's a, a good fit there, great. But I'm really honestly happy to work with the team, um, help them 
take that very first step of instilling psychological safety within their organization. And then, uh, and then we'll part ways. I'm totally okay with that. So, I mean, what he's talking about here is he'll do this for free for you. Um, you've obviously got this far and you realize that he knows what he's talking about. Um, so definitely take him up on this, I think. Yeah, I think it really shows, uh, you know, a lot about a, a practitioner who is uh, so passionate about what they do and also so confident that it's going to work that they'll offer that first step for free. Um, so, yeah, I would jump on this and I should say is now as well, there's no kickback for us. We're not being paid by Stefan or here to promote his stuff. Um, it's just mutual respect and admiration for each other's work. Um, so definitely take him up on that offer. Uh, you can head over, we'll put it all in the show notes, uh, but you can head over to zarango.com that's z-a-r-a-n-g-o.com um, and that will take you through to the website stefan's website and there's a link on that um, page that you can book a consultation some other great resources as well there that stefan mentioned we will leave links to um, amy edmondson's book um, and her tedx talks and for all my fellow academics and psychologists out there or people that just like to read a good scientific journal of an evening over a glass of <laughs> wine um that's a google scholar link for amy edmondson as well um yeah i think so many great resources i love that stefan is standing behind his work and his belief um and yeah psychological safety you know it is it is one of those another people and culture term um, but one that i think is really worth paying attention to so i think we should end um on stefan and that passion um for psychological safety and some final words of wisdom as to why it matters and the impact it can have not only on you as a leader uh, but on your employees and the performance of your business you know you don't want to just make a profitable business but a business that gives the folks that are inside your walls uh, a voice. And that's what I'm really about. You know, I know that 70% or maybe more of people are simply punching the clock. They don't feel like their voice matters at work. And I want to change that. I want people to be able to go to work and feel like what they have to contribute matters. And they're actively moving the world forward. Because ultimately, if that other 70% of people who are showing up to work every day can feel more like they're contributing, we're going to solve the world's biggest problems. We're just going to do that. I love that. And if you'd like to hear more about Stefan and his work, we will also leave a link to his LinkedIn profile in the show notes. Fabulous. So thank you, Stefan, for joining us this week. Um, we, If you've enjoyed this, then please, well, I tell you what would be really, really useful is if you were to leave a review for us on your favourite, I mean, iTunes is, is probably the best one, but anything that you use, leave a review for us. Hopefully it'll be five stars because that's really going to help us um, share the episode and um, just tell a thousand of your closest friends, really, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're fairly we're fairly early on in the in our podcast journey with this particular podcast. And uh, we, we're, quite, we're kind of proud of it. We want more people to hear it, don't we? we are it really helps other people find the podcast if you yeah write a review fancy subscribing then it will will pop into your downloads every week but um but yeah thank you to everyone who has listened so far and we look forward to bringing you another episode next week definitely we'll see you soon bye bye bye